sermon. Welcome everyone who's here this morning. I know we have visitors in our midst. And speaking of that, Friday night, for those of you that were able to be at the class Friday night, I think you'll agree with me that that was one of our uh, better attendances that we had in quite a while. And I know that some of that was due to a number of you inviting others to come and be with us. And that's a great thing. Perhaps you're visiting with us this morning because someone invited you and we're glad you're here. We want you to want to come back and be with us in the future. And so I hope we make you feel welcome. And let us know if we don't, but I hope we make you feel welcome. We do have visitor's cards. You should find them just in front of you, and we'd like for you to fill one of those out. You hand it to me as you come out, um, or any of the members here, and that'll, that'll, uh, it'll find its way to the proper channel. But glad to have you here. Speaking of that, a couple other announcements that I want to make. One, we do have someone with us this morning from Nigeria who's going to be here, uh, Jacqueline's husband, Chenedu is with us, and uh, so if you haven't had a chance to meet him, meet him and welcome him. And one final announcement that uh, a number of you have uh, expressed to me you already know about. Um, if you're not aware, yesterday morning over here at my house, um, Juliet became engaged to Marvin, and uh, we're very happy about that. She's very happy about that, and... Uh, so we appreciate all, all of the things that have already been said. A lot of wonderful things have been said. We appreciate that very much. Um, if you haven't gotten to know Marvin, Marvin is very special. And Montel and I think the world of him. And I assume Jules does too. <laughs> no, no I, I'm just playing. I, I'm playing. No, Jules does too. He's a great guy, and you should see a lot more of him uh, in the near future. So uh, anyway, congratulations to Jules and Marvin. And without any further delay, let's get into the lesson. I want to talk, I am sort of using this lesson and the next one at the end of this first quarter. We've been talking about being holy in my relationship, and in particular, although not exclusively, but focusing on our relationship with God. Now, I want to talk, especially during the next quarter, especially about that relationship And I want to talk uh, about this idea, and I'm not going to put the chart back up this morning, of bridging the gap that we sometimes feel between us. But I believe, just as we've sung in this song, and you know last week I talked about it, it takes time to be holy. Sunday night I emphasized the lyrics of this song, and this morning I want to focus on one line in particular, and that is spend much time in secret. I believe that's at the very core of any relationship, and I'm going to talk about what that means, but at the core of any relationship that is strong, any relationship that is what it needs to be, spend much time in secret. Let's get right into talking about it, and this is a familiar image you've seen a number of times. Harkening back to a couple of years ago when we studied the man in the mirror, I put this image up. I've used it several times already this year, and I will use it some more especially as I tie some of those principles from a couple of years ago into this theme. So we're going to kind of bring some of that together. But let's just slow down for a moment and say, I am a person who's, you know, I'm a Christian, uh, perhaps not even, but I want to be. But I'm standing looking at myself in the mirror and kind of contemplating my life. Now, if you know, this goes back to what I did a number of years ago at age 17. I was that guys staring literally into a mirror and thinking about change. I see myself 
as I am. But if I look deeper, and especially in reflection of the Word of God, if you remember from some of those lessons, I see myself as I want to be, as I could be. But perhaps I look at my failures, I look at my weaknesses, something we're going to begin to focus on in the coming weeks. And I begin to ask myself a very pertinent question. And that is, I know I want to be more holy. I know I want to be more of what God wants me to be. But really, how can I get closer to God? I know there have been sometimes you've asked that que- yourself that question. There have been times you've come to me and asked me that question. And then perhaps even asked for some advice or help or whatever it might be. And I'm sure we do that with each other. And we express that. I want to be closer to God. How can I get closer to God? I'm going to answer that question. But even when I answer it, it's going to need some more explanation. How can I get closer to God? Spend much time in secret. Just like this song says, take time to be holy. Spend much time in secret. Because it takes much time. And it takes a diligent effort if we're going to build and maintain a lasting, holy relationship. Now, as I said, that's not just with God. We build lasting, holy relationships with people on this earth. If we take the time necessary and we put forth the effort, the diligent effort, necessary to build such a relationship, it will be one that we can keep. Not a passing relationship. Stop for a moment. Think of your own life. Do you remember perhaps people you were once very close to but are not any longer? Why? And there can be a number of different reasons why. Do you remember people perhaps you wanted to be closer to but that just never developed? It never happened. Why? Why did that not happen? And I think as you begin to explore that, you realize if it's going to last and thus it's going to be holy. And by holy... I mean, it's going to be a different relationship, not a passing relationship, not a casual relationship, as we sometimes call it, not an acquaintance, not a working relationship, but really something that's different and something that is special. Then it's going to take time. It takes much time to have, to build, to forge such a relationship. And it takes that kind of time and effort if you're going to maintain it. Because if you don't maintain the relationship, as we would say, it falls apart. Or we drift apart. Or we cease to really even be close anymore. And so on and on. All of those terms we use. Now, when it comes to God, I want a relationship with God. Because I believe the Bible discusses a relationship. As I look deeper into the Bible, it is not just that I am called to be a servant of God. I am, and I understand that. God is my master, my Lord, my King. I am His servant. I am His subject. I owe obedience to Him. He is my God. But that is not the only thing God tells us that He wants with us. No, there are things such as Abba, Father, we talked about that before, and you understand that term Abba is like Dada. And it's that closeness that exists between some of you in here with little children. You know how close they are to you. And you know how close you already are to them. God wants that with us. But beyond that, as Jesus stood and said, I've not just called you as servants. 
but have called you friends. Abraham was not just the servant obeying God going into a foreign land, but he was the friend of God. No one can read through the Psalms and not realize that David had a close, although sometimes volatile, relationship with God, but it was a lasting relationship, a holy relationship with God that allowed David to be the person who was, quote-unquote, after God's own heart. So God is their friend. And I want God to be my friend in every true sense of the word. But if I'm going to have God as a friend, if we're going to be close to God, it's going to require the same kind of things we understand. Jules just got engaged yesterday. And Jules, I promise, the only time I use this illustration, the rest of the sermon. But in order to get to that point, you have to spend time, quality time. You have to grow closer to an individual. You meet someone for the first time. That can be someone that you work with. It can be, and I'm not just talking about a relationship toward marriage. I'm talking about friendship, any relationship. You meet them. You become acquainted with them. Now the question is, do I want to be closer to this person and do I want to put forth the time and effort it takes to be closer to them? With God, that is someone I want to be closer to. And I have to understand what it takes. So let's talk about that. We spend much time. I would like to say we invest valuable time. The older I get, the more real it becomes to me that you only have a certain amount of time on this earth. And it's fleeting. So it's valuable. Time is a commodity that I only have so much of. So I invest valuable time in building and maintaining a close relationship with God. And if I do, then that relationship will last for all eternity. But you affect this through communication. Same way you make friends here on earth, the same way you grow closer to someone here on earth, you spend the time, you communicate. What does it mean to communicate? Well, we all understand. We share time with each other. We talk to each other. I call them, and you know you've seen this terminology before. It's not biblical. It's, it's, it's Michael, so take it with a grain of salt. But I call it my me with God sessions. And in those times, it's two-way communication. It is time that is spent in prayer. Me, notice, talking to God. I would really say with God. It is God talking to me. Time spent in meditation. Now, let me back up for a moment. When I say time in prayer, I don't mean typical prayer. I mean atypical prayer. Because if we talk about typical prayer, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent here, but give me about 15 seconds. If you poll any... Any group of people, say a hundred people, and you ask them some very simple questions. How much do you pray? How much time do you spend in a common prayer? How many times a day do you pray? Do you, last question, do you say the same things every time you pray? You will come away with a very real understanding of really how much communication you have with God about your life. And they're hard questions. When I say time and meditation, I don't mean just 
reading or even just studying the Bible. I've known people, for example, who read the Bible all their lives and didn't learn a thing, but they read it. They knew, quote-unquote, what was in there didn't mean anything. I've also known people who studied the Bible for years, and they knew what was in there, and they knew the meaning, and it didn't do anything for them. So I'm not talking about just reading or even just studying the Bible. No, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be real communication. It's got to be, as James read for us in Matthew 6, and I'm not really going to spend a lot of time today in this passage. Uh, I, if you were uh, had the opportunity to be in Wes's class Friday night, some of you men were excellent job at looking at this passage. But in that passage, there's a term that's used. James read it for us. The idea of going into a closet. Let me take just a moment to talk about that. A closet, as I understand it, and it's a very specific term, it was a part of a typical Persian house, I think is where the term was borrowed from, doesn't matter, but here's the idea. It was that little part of the house where valuables were kept, it was sometimes secret, many times secret from other people, hence the translation, enter into the closet or spend much time in secret. But it was also a place where a person would escape to be alone. Now, you may have one of those places. You may have one of those places in your home. I knew a lady years ago, and literally, she had had a closet in her house converted into a little study, but it was a place to go literally into the closet and spend time in secret. And she would do that, and she would pray, and she would study, and she would do all those things in her closet. But you get the idea. It is somewhere you go to be alone, to take time to do those things you need to do. And in this case, we're talking about communicating with God both ways. You pray, you meditate. But it is also a place of value, a place of valuables, if you will. In fact, you come to look at that as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, treasure in your life. How many of us have such a place or take such time to get by ourselves in our busy life and really spend some serious time in prayer, in thought, in meditation? And what kind of value do you place on those minutes? I think some of us would say great value. Well, that's what the Bible is talking about. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in meditation. And let's talk about prayer for a moment. Prayer has to be complete. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse 1. Because if we go back to that survey we might pass out, we might ask people, what do you say, and that kind of thing. What you will typically find, if people are honest and answer that question, is, you know what I find myself doing every day? is asking God pretty much every day the same things for what I need. But if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, prayer, complete prayer, involves, if you notice, supplications, yes. God, I need, I want. I think I have to have. You know. 
But it's more than that. It is also what is called prayers, or prayer proper, some people call it, and it's praise of God. And beyond that, it's intercessions. Not just me asking for me, but me asking for you. Michael, pray for me. Pray for my mother. Pray for my friend, etc., etc. Me asking for other people. And lastly, giving thanks. Now, you want to know out of those four terms, the one of the four terms that God separates from the group, and many times in your Bibles adds an extra verse to remind you again to do? Give thanks. Right. Because as human beings, we commonly, in a crisis, will run to wherever we run. It may be people, it may be God, it may be both, and we may ask for help, but then when the crisis is passed, we forget to say thanks. God said, don't forget. It's got to be complete. Now, I'll come back to that in just a moment. It's got to be practical. Open your Bible with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4. Let's talk about the crisis for a moment, just as an illustration. I love this passage because of everything that's in it. Now, you know that I hate to take things out of context. I'm not one of those people, you know, that's very verse-oriented, more passage-oriented. But here's why. If you look at Philippians 4, and I want you to think about a person, an individual, who is a Christian, who's facing a crisis in their life. I put Psalm 42 and 43, I'd like you to jot that down, and I really wish you'd go home and meditate on those two psalms. Because it's David in crisis. But let's just stay with Philippians 4 for a moment. Paul says, first of all, in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How practical is that? Be honest. Do you always rejoice in the Lord? Why? Or why not? Is your mind closed off to all the problems? Are there times when you would say to yourself, I don't feel much joy today. And I really don't feel like rejoicing today. Stay with me for a moment. Notice verse 5. When immediately Paul then comes back and says, let your moderation, your self-control, your temperance, etc. Some of your passages, some of your translations say gentleness, but I don't think that's the direction of this term. I think in this context, the direction of this term really is, you be under control. Self-control. Now notice what he's saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Typically. I don't feel like rejoicing in the Lord. Let yourself control. I need to be self-controlled about this crisis that I'm going through. I don't need to be frantic. I don't need to be all tore up and scared and worried and dreaming up every bad possibility that may come as a result of this and this and this and this. I don't need to be that way. Notice what he says immediately when he says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. He may not feel as though he's near right now. That's why verse 6. Don't be anxious. Because you've got a choice. As a Christian, when such a time comes in your life, maybe the doctor just told you your child is very sick. That's a crisis. And you've got a choice. You can be totally out of control. And you can do what people in the world do, and you can run with that. Some people run all the way to killing themselves. Any of you familiar with Emerson Lake and Palmer? Keith Emerson killed himself yesterday because of a disease that he had, etc. You can do that. 
Or you can do what a Christian should learn to do. And that is, go to God. Now, I come to God in prayer. I'm not just repeating those things, now I lay me down to sleep, that I've said every day for how many years? No, i got a crisis. And it's compelling me to go to God and pour my heart out to God. I'm scared. And I need your help. And I don't know what to do. That's prayer. And so, I'm not anxious. The more I pray, notice, complete prayer. The more I praise God for how great He is. The more I acknowledge what God is capable of doing, has done, both in the world in general and in my life. And then I ask. But then I immediately begin to say, and I know there are other people, God, and I know I'm not the only one with problems. That one's got a problem. And I see them, and I don't understand how they handle that. They've got a smile on their face. I acknowledge those things. And then I thank God. Boy, God, I was there, and you helped me, and I was there, and you helped me, and I don't know how I got out of that one, but you helped me. And I keep then letting my requests be made known to God. You know how you feel when you finish such a prayer? Better than when you started, if you're human. And you'll notice the promise. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God that passes understanding. All understand. Will keep. The word there is guard. Like a prison guard. Will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. The more you communicate with God. And the more you consistently do it. You know, pray without ceasing. Continuing instant in prayer. The more you do that. The more at peace you're going to be. Now, let's go further with it. Not just reading the Bible. Not just studying but meditate. What does that mean? Well, there are a couple of terms used in the Bible. One of them means to mull something over. That is, just roll it around in your head. Another means, or that same term means also to feed on. You've heard me say this, and many people say this many times. It's like the cow that chews the cud. And if you ever watch the cow, it will drive you nuts watching them chew. I mean, really, they got four stomachs, and they regurgitate it back up and they chew it some more. So they chew. But you know, God is saying, do that with my word. Don't just read it. Don't even just study it, Michael. You know, reading it and studying it to prepare a lesson or looking at a passage and saying, boy, that would be a good lesson. Here's the three points. Don't just do that. But feed on it. The idea... Turn with me to Psalm 143. It's a short psalm. I want us to see this. Again... I think this is David here in Psalm 143. And notice as David is saying, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into the judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. And we understand that. I'm saying that to God. I understand my place. But then he goes on, verse 3. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He's smitten my life down to the ground. He's made me to dwell in darkness and in those that have been long dead, or as those that have been long dead. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. Have you ever felt like that? Your spirit has just jumped up and beats you down. My spirit is overwhelmed within me. 
And my heart within me is desolate. Have you ever felt that? I don't have a friend in this world. Now, it may not be true, but you feel it. Nobody loves me. You ever been there? Maybe you have not. Thank God if you haven't. A lot of you have. David was there. But notice verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate. I feed on. I maul over all your works. From creation to me. God, you made me. You put me here. You created me. And you have preserved me. You brought me to this point right here. I believe in you. That's what David is praying. Notice the next term. The second part of verse 5. I muse on the works of your hands. This is the idea of reflecting. But it's more than that. It's not just remembering, it's introspecting. We don't use that. We use introspection, we use introspective, we often do not use the verb form of it, but there is one. (laughs) And the idea is for you to look inside. What do you see? Why are you responding or reacting like you are? And is there anything you can do about it? I suggest to you, That what the Bible is saying, go back with me to Philippians 4, is you can do this. Never, ever, 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 ever underestimate the power 